Welcome to a podcast on fire that's going to talk about the movie On the Wrong Track. And it's Andy who's on the wrong track. A youth with no prospects who's drawing closer to a world of crime. It's a movie that's not called A Moment of Romance, but it's a Shaw Brothers movie called On the Wrong Track, starring Andy Lau, dealing with uh, the perils of these uh, juvenile delinquents, the perils that they face. So this is a discussion about Andy Lau's first lead role coming up right to your ears. And I'm going to be here with me to discuss this early, fresh-faced, 20-year-old, 22-year-old Andy Lau in his first lead role is uh, Paul Fox. He's going to discuss that with me. Hello, buddy. Hello, hello. And uh, just want to make sure that I am on the right track because as podcasters, you know, uh, that's very important. Indeed. Uh, right now you're in my uh, right ear. But uh, uh, that's going to change once we, uh, once I do my editing magic. There's nothing more distracting than having stereo podcasts with little, literal people like in left and right ear respectively. So um, uh, a little tech uh, behind the scenes like that's yeah, because I edit really in anal fashion. So uh, ha- recording things on separate tracks allow me to... Um, uh, delete or mute sounds on the other track that are not supposed to be there, whether coughs or a phone going off or uh, a family member rushing in. I can't find my. <laughs> yeah, all three guilty. That's me, my side guys. If you hear that, so <laughs> it takes a while to get these shows together because uh, Paul is a family man. He needs to keep uh, track of um, uh, multiple strings in the house, if you will. Uh, he's the puppet master of the Fox household. <laughs> uh, speaking of family, if I could just take a very brief moment off off book here and uh, send out a big congratulations to my old partner in crime, Mr. Kevin Ma, uh, because uh, just uh, around the time this is recording, it'll, it'll be a few months by the time you're hearing this, but uh, he has re- recently tied the knot and he's uh, out and about because they've opened up Hong Kong a little bit. He's on his honeymoon as we speak. So uh, big congratulations to him. Congratulations to TV's Kevin Ma. We, we know that guy. <laughs> We're not worthy. We're not worthy. I was thinking like, is he, has he met the Norwegian bride or is he on in Norway for his honeymoon? Because uh, I follow him on social media. It's like he's, he's like he's close to me. Not that uh, we're supposed to meet. Just because he's close to me, but it's like he's watching fjords. Yeah, it? my wife was commenting. She's like, "Is he going to see Kenneth?" I was like, "No, no, no, no. Kenneth doesn't. Kenneth doesn't, doesn't see out. anyone." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he flew over me. I, I, I felt the vibrations. I said, "That's TV's Kevin Ma. I know that guy." Uh, but it's very lovely to hear. He told me off air a couple of uh, podcasts ago. I was like, "Sweet, awesome!" Like, and uh, you know, as you said. The timing couldn't be better because now you can travel seemingly more uh, smoothly, you know, without uh, cocooning yourself in order to be safe. You know what I mean? Like uh, it, it feels like maybe almost like old times. Almost, yeah. Yeah, so very cool. Happy to hear. Congratulations, Kevin. I know you probably won't hear this, but congratulations nonetheless. I should probably send him another congratulations now that it, it has happened because he told me uh, before the ceremony. So... Um, were they in Hong Kong? Uh, or did they travel for the ceremony? Do you know that? No, they, um, uh, as as I remember, he said uh, they were in Hong Kong. They couldn't really, because they still have some gathering restrictions in place. Um, and so they couldn't, like, do the big uh, banquet and stuff. They just did a small, you know, civil ceremony. And uh, a lot of people put that on hold during COVID. My, my sister-in-law got married and uh, same thing. She, she couldn't, they, they still haven't gone on their honeymoon yet. Um, and they got married back in 
2021. They just had to do the civil ceremony. They couldn't do the banquet or any of that either. So, hey, 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 hey let me ask you something. Is all my knowledge comes from movies, right? So, is the banquet considered like the necessary, needed ceremony for a marriage to even uh, be uh, approved or or whatever? Like, or, or is there a, a sense of like uh, you can marry in any way you like, but a banquet is a is a mightier celebration? You pay greater respects to your elders than your in laws and things like that. Or what's the sort of demand there? You think? I mean, yes and yes. It's uh, it depends on the family. If it's a very sort of traditional family, they will, they, you know, the banquet is really for them, kind of like, you know, show off a little bit, you know, by how many tables they can, you know, book and how, how many people come. And my wife and I just decided it wasn't going to be fair for either side because my family was in the U.S. and her family was in Hong Kong. And if we had it in Hong Kong, then it was a burden on my family. If we had it in the U.S., it would be a burden on her family. So we just went to hawaii and did it by ourselves <laughs> fuck you all <laughs> yeah. and then we went around and visited everybody afterward you know and and we felt felt that was the most fair way to do it rather than having like a a, a big banquet where one side would have to travel to it so let's just say you have in-laws they've not disowned you right so so it was accepted when all was said and done <laughs> it was uh and you know uh but there are some families that would not you know accept that so it's it's a family by family kind of basis um for sure but with covid with the rules in place um a lot of that has been put on hold so it's okay if you didn't do it during covid as long as you do do it at some point and so what you're going to see probably in the next year or so is a lot of restaurant bookings for you know uh, taking up these spaces and slots and whatnot well it's a way to support the businesses that haven't been struggling for uh, for the past few years you know so, yep, so yep. why not fill up the uh, fill fill up the booking books that way? So, very cool. Uh, well, we're gonna get uh, the show on the road for uh, all your podcast on Fire Network needs. Uh, check out uh, the website; is a little bit in disarray right now. Our uh, WordPress uh, theme um, had a fit, so we're looking for a new theme and trying to get the widgets working. But uh, I know uh, you all. Uh, you, you can go to a functional site and find all our shows, uh, podcastonfire.com. Uh, many of you get all of this stuff via our podcast feeds as well, but I do apologize uh, if uh, it's still indeed a problem. I'm, I'm not no good with uh, HTML or WordPress. So so wait, you're, you're not building it like in the metaverse? It's not going to be like a big meta virtual space where we can go and hang out with Mark? You, you, you might as well be talking <laughs> Chinese to me right now. Meta what? <laughs> it's it's uh, not my world. Anyway, podcastonfire.com, all the shows are there, uh, and uh, bonus episodes and so forth. Uh, contact us on social media. That hasn't uh, had a fit in terms of uh, the structure of the group. Uh, we're still on Facebook, the Facebook group, where we announce things. We're on Twitter and Instagram, and you can stream us on Stitcher Radio and uh, Spotify, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. So, all well and good. Have you had any... Uh, any uh, prospects in terms of uh, um, recording East Screen, West Screen again? Are you waiting for good topics? Obviously, Kevin Ma is uh, not available right now, but uh, you, you, you know, you did the big uh, RRR thing uh, earlier in the year. So, uh, has anything, uh, has any ideas uh, came up? Well, we actually did another episode after that on um, that very same movie, the Michelle Yeoh movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and I had some technical issues with it, and uh, unfortunately, it's been. Uh, it's been shelved, and I don't know if we're going to get back to anything um, 
before the end of the year or not, but you never know. I mean, it's uh, now that things are opening up. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to go out back to the cinema again, but uh, yeah, nothing is really aligned with our schedules or anything of late, so we'll just have to wait and see. Excellent. Uh, well, look forward to that, and hopefully that um, uh, show will uh, be able to be salvaged uh, with a little, uh, not PS, but a little info at the top that this uh, won't sound as pretty as it normally does but the content is is uh, good enough for a show so so hopefully you can get it uh, on on there unless kevin's side was like all like snoopy marble like (laughs) yes kevin kevin michelle joe is very good in the film uh, but excellent, looking forward to that. We'll link to your show archive, obviously. And uh, we're going to take a music uh, break and listen to a little bit of music from On the Wrong Track, Andy Lau's first lead role uh, at Shaw Brothers, uh, nonetheless. But uh, it's not uh, Shaw Brothers as, uh, as you might uh, think. The image of Shaw Brothers that you conjure up concerns different genres than this uh, youth drama, this modern set youth drama, On the Wrong Track from 1983. So... Uh, Listen to that listen to that music for a bit and we'll be right back. And welcome back and uh, moving up for review in this episode is On the Wrong Track from 1983 and a plot from the Hong Kong digital review of the film goes as follows. Juvenile delinquent brothers Paul, played by Andy Lau, and D, or D, act out as a way of rebelling against their police officer father called Larry Chen, played by Yu Hua, Shaw Brothers veteran Yu Hua from Come Drink With Me, uh, playing drunken cat in that film, among other films. And uh, they they rebel against their police officer father and his breakup with their mother. An unflinchingly strict parent, Larry Chen is embarrassed by his son's crimes and they're worried about uh, that their actions will cause him to lose a forthcoming promotion. And allows Paul feels uh, his dad favors he favors his younger brother, and uh, when he's denied entry into a Canadian university because of Paul poor grades, Paul becomes less and less certain of his future. Meanwhile, his brother is becoming increasingly reckless and he leads Paul and their uh, circle of friends to commit uh, more brazen acts of mischief and theft. Uh, his uh, outspoken uh, resentment of uh, their father, Larry's new girlfriend, is uh, also uh, uh, grown by the day. So uh, there's, a, there's a new mother in the house and the resentment against her is uh, growing. But Paul's situation is bettered somewhat by his relationship with Vietnamese teen Xi, played by Prudence Liu, who is struggling to look after herself and her baby in one of the colony's refugee camps. And when Larry, their father, the police officer, decides to send his uh, sons to join their mother in Taiwan, which not only means the loss of their friends, but also compulsory military service, the brothers commit an act that balloons from simple vandalism into a major criminal incident. So before we get to the review, I thought that we'd uh, you know, shine a spotlight not only on Andy Lau in a way, but more or less uh, for the majority of this background section, we'll shine a light on the film's director, which is, um, we haven't mentioned at all, uh, 
his name is Clarence Falk or Clarence Ford, who is the director of uh, the future director of uh, Naked Killer, Iceman Cometh. Uh, I was about to say the founder and the luck in the tycoon, but no, the greatest lover, starring Shia Fat. Uh, sometimes mix those up, and films like that, Dragon from Russia. So uh, he's a he's a fan favorite of um, sort of cult films, but also mainstream films. And uh, he is sometimes cl- um, credited as Clarence Ford, um, and he explained in an interview um, on a DVD uh, like 15 years ago or so that. Uh, his uh, because it isn't an error necessarily that uh, instead of Clarence Falk it's Clarence Ford but uh, apparently his father Jack couldn't speak uh, Cantonese uh, and he didn't have a Chinese name either and um, he had been living in London since he was a little boy so I, I didn't quite f- fully understand it but he was generally uh, either he was generally called Ford or his name was perceived as Ford and that sort of stuck in the Clarence apparently didn't mind whether credits read Clarence Ford or Clarence Falk depending on the movie but no, it was originating from his father after all, so either is fine. Uh, but uh, Clarence himself, um, they they came from, uh, his family came from a working uh, background, so he uh, worked at a factory as uh, uh, at the tender age of uh, ten. So uh, he obviously was put out there, but he also joined a singing contest at that point in his uh, life, uh, which led to um, employment and uh, and uh, gigs. To a degree and a steady paycheck. So uh, studying actually took a back seat after he won that uh, singing contest. And he said in an interview that I was working 80% and studying uh, 20%. Uh, so by that point, entertainment field was uh, becoming a little bit of a priority. But I'm sure the extra income didn't hurt the family. Eventually, he uh, went on to study uh, graphic design at the Hong Kong Polytechnic U- uh, in- Institute. Entertainment was still calling, though, and uh, he actually became a part-time scriptwriter for TVB at 15. I mean, I'm not sure how common that is if TVB are just roping in people left and right, kids, to write. But apparently, Clarence uh, was uh, a little bit of a wonder kid. Uh, so uh, writing at TVB eventually led to directing at TVB, uh, directing series like uh, Over the Rainbow. At one point, he worked on the classic show The Bund with uh, Giant Fat. I might as well stop there. Have you ever taken in anything The Bund related, whether like the, the compilation films or actually watching it unsubtitled on TV, or it never really uh, was a possibility for you to watch that classic show? Uh, Netflix had it for a while as the compilation film, and I had started it until I realized it was of the film and, and not the series and i'd wanted to see the series so uh, i've never been able to find that um, full-length series as yet but i do want to see it yeah it's uh, him and ray loy and uh, later on in god of gamblers free back to shanghai ray loy uh, stephen child travels back to the bund i don't know how that makes sense but he does so he meets uh, ray loy which i'm not sure is was playing his cat his own character from the Bund, but perhaps he was playing a giant fat character from the Bund. I'm not too sure about that, but uh, regardless, they have a little they, they, they tie a little string between the Bund and God of Gamblers Free uh, back to Shanghai in that one. So uh, they, they were up for uh, spoofing it. Uh, uh, so making a TVB uh, meant he was uh, you know, making progress and uh, he was being offered more things, including being more of a producer at TVB, Clarence Ford that is, but he made a different choice and he wanted to direct films. And he did so, starting in 1981 with the Leslie Cheung film Job Hunter. And uh, by the time he made his third film, uh, he was directing at uh, 
Shaw Brothers and that film was on the wrong track. And the TVB, by the way, was the sort of production arm, I guess, of Shaw Brothers, the TV production arm. So uh, he was still uh, with uh, with the old company in a way. But uh, on the wrong track uh, came out in 1983 from Shaw Brothers, starring a young Andy Lau. And then uh, the career sort of uh, spun, continued to spin. You know, he had a mainstream hit with The Greatest Lover, starring Chai Fat and Anita Moy. And then Category 3 excess like Naked Killer, Remains of a Woman, which uh, ended up being an award winner, by the way, Remains of a Woman. Uh, yeah, actress Carrie M won an award for Best Supporting Actress in Taiwan. So obviously he could direct uh, proper performances. Uh, and uh, jumping a bit forward in the timeline in terms of Clarence's work, he directed a good chunk of all those Michael Wong SDU films, dubbed The New Option. And uh, he has also popped up in The New Millennium, uh, directing more for Wong Jing. A couple of not-so-acclaimed uh, horror comedies called Don't Open Your Eyes and Dating a Vampire. Do you remember going with a movie group to see the latest Wong Jing productions? Uh, Don't Open Your Eyes, Dating a Vampire, and do you remember glorious things about them? Dating a Vampire was so bad. <laughs> I, I remember Love HK Films Review was a bit more favorable to Don't Open Your Eyes. It's like, if you know what you want and what you're going to get, then, then it's fine. Dating a Vampire was like, if you expect it, don't open your eyes, then prepare to be d- disappointed kind of thing. Uh, never pursue them, uh, because it was during that period in Hong Kong cinema where it really didn't look bright, the future necessarily. It didn't look inspiring, let's just say. Right. Um, if I could just uh, take a brief moment to to jump back to the God of Gamblers uh, 3, back to Shanghai uh, thread. Uh, we, we did cover that here on Podcast on Fire, I think back on episode 195 or so. Um, so if you're interested you can look that up in the archive what are you the rain man of the podcast on fire network like you, <laughs> not yeah. even, i don't even remember that stuff or you looked it up because uh, we did cover all the god of gambler films um and it was a, a fun time for me at least um but also if you are somebody who's looking for really rare stuff that film has a, a very unique cut known as the taiwan cut um, which they actually replaced um, lead actress Gong Li at the time with uh, Taiwan actress Amber Fung. So basically Amber Fung is in all the Gong Li scenes that they shot for the Taiwan release. And somebody, bless them, whoever they are, um, found a subtitled version of this and it's out there on the YouTube thing, you know, so if you're familiar with that. So you can go out there and search it up uh, pretty easily. Normally, I don't like to recommend stuff, but for something like this, which has literally no availability um i feel you know if you're a hong kong fan that it's something uh, that you really want to track down and see especially if you're a completionist so you can check that out two things there i know i used the wrong poster for the post on the on the um for that particular show up i i don't I, I think i used the taiwan poster and didn't spot that that wasn't gong li because they had two identical designs but one uh one design featured gong li one featured the other actress so uh, so on the site it looks like whoa it's the taiwan cut no it's just ken making a booboo <laughs> uh, but but the, the reason gong li uh not in the taiwanese version it's the relationship between taiwan and mainland china that's rearing its head there that uh, she wouldn't be an acceptable inclusion on the taiwanese film market in that case or, or what do you think the deal is there it was definitely trying because the taiwanese market around that time was r- really booming for and 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 hungry for hong kong cinema so i think they were just trying to 
do some a little extra bit of marketing to make sure that um, the film was well received. The scenes might be so super duper similar, like uh, because yeah. it's just like one in, one out, and then restage yeah. the scene. So it might not look like much of a different film, uh, but uh, it's but almost yeah. like a cut and paste movie. <laughs> one of the more big profile. Clarence uh, Focke movies of uh, later years is uh, the Donnie Yen Actioner Special ID from uh, 2013 that the Love HK film described as uh, action-packed but also hilariously goofy. Special ID is like an uncut brick of Donnie Yen goodness. Uh, the actor plays both the awesome badass from Flashpoint and the grinning idiot from Mismatched Couples, a potential problem for more recent converts to the church of Donnie Yen. Fun if you don't take it seriously, end quote. Does that correspond with your uh, view of Special ID, if you ever saw it? That it's a little bit of a tonal tonal mess or tonal fun? It's Donnie, and that was kind of a period where he could do no wrong. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's good fun. I mean, he, he, brings, the, he brings the entertainment, and unlike another film, he's not sitting on a potty in this one. So, <laughs> Clarence has also acted in 10 films, and um, out of the gate, really, after a couple of films as director... He got notices. He he was cast by Alfred Chung in Let's Make Love 2. And Clarence was actually nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Hong Kong Film Awards, playing the character of Simon. I know you're a big fan of Alfred Chung. Do you even remember that performance at all? I don't. I need. To, I, it's been so long since I've seen Let's Make Love 2. That's one I need to go back and revisit. Yeah, I've seen the first, uh, which was also an award winner a dual award winner i think yeah alfred won for his script and cecilia yip uh, for her role um uh, i remember let's make love one it, it was kind of tonally all over the place which seems on brand for alfred chung he likes to um, poke you with uh, contrasts let's just say that um he likes to be a little bit weird a little bit dark even in a seemingly uh, fluffy fluffy film yeah, but uh, it's it's one of the charms of uh, of Alfred. I mean, uh, it's a sidetrack, but do do you actually like when Alfred really pushes the dark buttons in uh, movies that he either acts in or directs? I'm thinking like In Between Loves. It has a serial killer vibes, but also it's quite goofy. And uh, um, you know, uh, obviously, uh, On the Run is a full on dark film. But but you know, you remember Alfred uh, likes to play with uh, with uh, sort of and give you a tonal whiplash and a little bit more than most Hong Kong filmmakers do. I, I kind of prefer more when he's all, more on the social commentary side of things. Um, but I appreciate that he tries to not stick so closely to the genre you expect in a lot of stuff, you know, so he, he does want to go in with a straight typical romantic comedy, like every other film that you would see in that era and, and, and sort of follow that he wants to kind of shake it up. But uh, unfortunately, when you do that, it doesn't always work. Sometimes it does. And and sometimes it just comes off as a bit misguided. Going back to uh, Clarence, we also see him briefly as an actor, as uh, one of the backup singers of The Losers, along with uh, Jackie Chan, Rosamund Kwan and Karina Lau in Armor of God. So he was around and uh, he was in uh, the Jackie Chan produced Naughty Boys from 1986, a bit of a more of a lead role, I suppose. And his last role as an actor at the time of recording uh, was in the 1999 Wong Jing produced Body Weapon. It was not a category three rated film, but it was still working the exploitation angle, you know, exploitation quickie territory because it had sexual violence and comedy, some kung fu, since uh, Vincent Chow stars in it. And uh, 
it's a rape revenge story and uh, Clarence's role is uh, the character he plays the character of Pearl that uh, actress Angie Chung meets in the film and uh, she's taught combative um, techniques like targeting men's g-spot which is a vulnerable area behind her testicles so it's yeah I remember John Charles said that uh, he plays it like uh, the the typical um, flamboyant queen of uh, Hong Kong cinema like it's depiction of someone who's a homosexual is not subtle or anything so Wong Jing uh, is not uh, reinventing the wheel or anything uh, but uh, rather go going with the stereotypes and the and the, and the tropes which is uh, not always a pretty thing i suppose but that's clarence uh, what was happening with andy at the time in the early 80s uh, well he had signed up for the artist training program at tvb as well and he made appearances in series like uh, The Emissary, but certainly, and this is uh, Paul Fox's uh, sort of uh, main territory, certainly a return of the Condor heroes meant his popularity started to build and was on the rise. Um, I have a little question about that, but uh, how he transitioned to film, apparently. He uh, he had appeared in Singer Susanna Kwan's, one of Singer Susanna Kwan's music videos, who apparently was managed by Teddy Robin. And Teddy Robin had spotted Andy in some shape or form, and that led to a small appearance in the 1982 film Once Upon a Rainbow, which Teddy Robin produced. And then Andy Lau took the role Giant Fat was initially offered, but declined in Anne Hoy's Boat People. And then in 1983, this first lead role happened. So my question is, that Condor appearance across that series... Is it a great role? Does it show potential in the young actor? Because I believe this series has been made available with English subtitles, so we've been able to appreciate it a bit more firmly. Or what do you remember about Return of the Condor Heroes and Andy Lau? I, I was somebody who encountered it in, in sort of after the fact um, because of availability, and um, I initially had tried to watch through the series on uh, VCD back in the day with no English subtitles. And my very limited Cantonese, but I love the material enough to sort of to go through it. So I was very pleased when they finally released a fully subtitled set. With a series like that, it's something that kind of sets a character tone for a generation. And he set the character tone of the lead character Guo Yi for me. And I've seen other actors, you know, perform the role, but you know, for me, Andy is the role i've already forgotten by the way I, I watched the brave archer films like a couple of months ago was that fu sheng's role that andy plays in return of the in the uh brave archer and his mate okay when he when he he sw- he swaps from being um uh the character uh in 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 the first f- series and becomes the younger character in the new series um that's yeah that's his role there um we're and also for those who've seen uh, Little Dragon Maiden with Leslie Chung, that's the role Leslie Chung is playing. It's one that I think, and especially his, he had a lot, a lot of great chemistry with um, his co-star Adi Chan at the time. That really, I think, for a generation defined uh, that role, even more so than the the stars of uh, the first series, um, the Condor Heroes, and then the, the follow-up series, uh, Heaven Sword, Dragon Saber, which I think... Uh, Tony Lung, um, Lung Chu Wai, Little Tony, was the lead in that. Yeah, and is it a case of them appearing each and every week in the episode, or do they come and go in this vast story, uh, and Andy Lau and Heidi Chan's characters? No, they're pretty front and center, because it's it's really their story. 
Um, for the most part, though, a big part of that story is a period of separation that happens between the two characters. So, but yeah, it's I mean, and if you're not familiar with the sort of the TVB drama format, they they tend to run, you know, a shorter series will run 20 episodes and they would play it every night in prime time. So it's every night, David, not a, not every week. No, it's every it's every night, five, five, uh, five nights a week, Monday through Friday. So a short series, you know, a short comedic series will run for four weeks. Um, your longer series will run, you know, six or eight weeks, you know, uh, depending on the number of episodes. And some can run even longer for four people. It becomes a sort of a central part of their evening. You know, the, the two it's it's a two hour block. Um 7.30 to 8.00, am I getting my times mixed up? It's 7.30, 8.30, 8.30, 9.30, it's 8.30 to 9.30, 9.30 to 10.30. You know, one drama and then another drama every evening. And those are sort of the, the central part of everybody's evening. They're usually either watching dinner or they've they, during dinner when they're out or they've had dinner and it's on, you know, in the restaurants. And I mean, back in the day, TVB had ATV and another channel uh, as competitors, but now that's just TVB left pretty much and nobody cares anymore. <laughs> you know, they, they still have some fans, but the, the, the kids today don't watch it. I mean, it's uh, mostly they're watching stuff on online and streaming. So yeah, they're not going to sit down at a set time or anything to, yeah. to do. To do yeah. But it's not like uh, in the States where it would, you, know, you get one episode a week and then you're waiting until that same night, you know, uh, same bat time, same bat channel a week later kind of thing. Um, it's it's every night. And so it's it's really, you know, again, people know it's on and they may not watch. They may not be glued to it, you know, like a, like a marathon session or anything. But it's there in the background. It's it's part of their consciousness, a lot of it for a lot of it. So, well, uh, back to on the wrong track. Yeah, it made about two point five million Hong Kong dollars at the box office. And that wasn't um, a breakout hit type of number in 1983 it was sizably trailing hits such as aces Co places 2 that earned 23 million the alan tam supernatural romance esprit d'amour at 14 million jackie chan's project a and made 19 million and other Shaw brothers actioners uh, as well as horror freakouts like lady as the boss and boxers omen earned a few million more than this uh, drama on the wrong track so uh, he didn't change uh, careers overnight necessarily, yeah, and he didn't earn any, any any nominations either, not even uh, a Best New Performer. Having said that, I'm not sure he even had a Best New Performer yet. Uh, the first few years, the categories were a bit sparse at the Hong Kong Film Awards, so um, that, that might not have been it, but not even a Best Actor for Andy Lau. Uh, but that year's uh, Best Picture winner was uh, the multiple Hong Kong Film Award winner Alan Fong, whose film Ah Ying won that honor, as well as Best Director. That's a new wave drama director whose films still struggle, struggle to be seen, really, including Ah Ying and movies like Father and Son. Um, it's still hard to get uh, those uh, films, uh, considering he's such a, you know, it's such a monumental thing to win Best Picture in that short span, uh, time span, and... Uh, and yeah, uh, I, I've seen Ah Ying on VCD, but obviously at this point it should be better. It should be commercially available. There might be good prints available of Alan Fong films, including uh, Ah Ying and Father and Son, but uh, this is uh, where we're at commercially currently. Best actor at the Hong Kong Film Awards that year uh, was given to Tony Leung Kao Fai for his performance in Burning of the Imperial Palace. 
Again, Cecilia Yip won uh, for her performance in the Alfred Chung romance uh, Let's Make Love, and Alfred Chung won Best Screenplay, and Best Action Design that year went to the team behind Witness and Sinners, uh, which is Sam Hong's Stuntman Association. And uh, the credit specifically, uh, according to Hong Kong Movie Database, uh, went to uh, Yun Biu, Lam Qingying, and Billy Chan for their work on that uh, on that film. Let's talk about On the Wrong Track uh, in terms of sh- short opinions. And uh, for me, it's, it's it sort of sporadically comes to life as a drama. Um, I think Andy Lau is pretty strong as a, this sort of fresh actor. Yeah, he goes through the emotional beats of this frustrated angry and even naive young man and uh, some of the violence is depicted well uh, parts of it look very arresting visually and that's a thing we didn't really touch upon when speaking about Clarence that uh, some of his films are very arresting uh, visually I think that comes from him to a to a distinct degree but, but I didn't think this elevated the you've gone astray you've gone wild type of uh, story or anything but uh, serviceable enough in parts but um Nothing that really stuck with me as such. Um, so, what about you? Uh, in the context of everyone's fresh here, like it's a fresh director and a fresh actor and this type of story in the 80s, uh, how did it play for you? Well, it's interesting uh, looking back on this and you know thinking about some of the things that will end up emerging later. You can really see this as an early precursor to sort of the Teddy Boys, Young and Dangerous films that would come in comics, or, or the Young and Dangerous titles that would come in comics and movies in the 90s. Um, you have a lot of the same elements. It's, you know, kids in school who are, because, you know, because of the fact that they're in school and, and they're on playgrounds and stuff, but then they end up kind of like, you know, getting more and more involved in gang activity um, you've you've kind of got that that social element as the sort of lead into the life of crime there. That's very similar to sort of the the young and dangerous films with those characters. Um, there's also a scene at one point where the kids are out in a field uh, racing cars in a derby style, and there's flaming trash cans everywhere, and you know. Uh, a lot of pomp and circumstance to the to that sequence, and it's also very reminiscent of sort of the the lorry driving racing with girls on top that happens later in the the much more renowned film uh, Moment of Romance, also starring Andy Lau. In terms of a film of this genre, sort of the youth gone wild thing, I do think, especially there's there's a thing that happens sort of in the midway point and. Beyond that, the film really starts to fall apart because it's got so many things that it's trying to do, and it doesn't really see any of them through to uh, a nice completion um, for me. But you look at other films that take the subject matter here, you know, much more seriously. I'm thinking of things like uh, Lawrence Lau's Gangs. They're they're much more focused sort of on the social commentary. And whereas here it's like, well, there's a little bit of social commentary, but you kind of got this family drama going on. You've got the police angle going on, um, and there's there's a lot of threads to pull. And and some of it is very fast tracked. Yes, very fast tracked, and 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 jumps around a bit. So it's interesting to see, you know, because you do have this is an early Andy Lau film, an early early Clarence Falk film. It shows, you know, it's not that it's a terrible film, but it it shows that there's some growing to do um, in in some ways. Yeah, I very much agree. It's uh, something that um, doesn't scream Shaw Brothers, though. 
which is a good thing because it's neat to once and again get out of the Shaw Brothers studios and into the modern setting. This didn't feel like a extremely studio-bound film, obviously interiors and rooms and things like that uh, are uh, studio-bound things, but it's not like they're on the same effing street like all those kung fu films and racing cars on that. You know, they're, they're, they're out and about uh, even uh, outside of uh, movie land and uh, doing location shooting i could swear in one scene but I, i'm i'm not too sure I, I don't know what the building looked like but uh, there you can see in the background of one scene a pretty prominent building and it looks like it has a colored emblem of sorts on it but i don't know if one of the main buildings uh, going into movie land on the other side of the bay had a big Shaw Brothers emblem on it or not. It just looked like, is that, you know, it's in HD. So it's like, is that a Shaw Brothers emblem in the background? Maybe it is, but um, regardless, it's neat to um, think of it in this context that, uh, oh yeah, it's a Shaw Brothers film and this is what they do. They they were uh, rapidly approaching uh, closing its doors, of course, uh, but uh, still it's, uh, it, it's a neat uh, thing here. In a way, it's a little bit preachy, the film. It's not uh, hiding its um, message that uh, these young punks are uh, are not uh, good for Hong Kong. And what about their parents? Because literally, a character says that at the beginning, the person whose car they trash and actually blow up. It's a little bit unsubtle beginning. Uh, uh, you know, external characters are voicing their dissatisfaction about the youth. Like, uh, they didn't go as far as saying, like, you're on the wrong track. <laughs> like, and then the credits come up, you know, like it's not that, but it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit, um, we understand what is uh, going on here and uh, that uh, uh, the adults have failed and things like that. So, uh, you know, was that ever a problem that it feels a little bit preachy, feels a little bit too on the nose in terms of uh, what it's communicating? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, especially the, the, there's an opening scene where the, the youths, <laughs> the youths, as it were, the youths, uh, they they really abuse a a car, a very nice looking car, and uh, as I'm watching, I'm just thinking, you know, I I could hear it, it it's it's a few years later, but I could hear Skid Row's Youth Gone Wild <laughs> <laughs> playing in the background of my mind. I'm like, okay, I'm, this is a music video, right? Uh, you know what reference I made in my head as I was watching that and was writing that note, and it's completely out of it, it's not even connected to this, but th- th- this notion of uh, that they might as well have said, like, you're on the wrong track. I was thinking of a scene from, believe it or not, and I'm, I, I, I shall be classified like mentally ill right now. I was thinking of a scene from Team America where a character is on the downslide and uh, someone from, uh, 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 he's uh, puking in the alley, the main character, and uh, a puppet, a character, a puppet, opens up the window. You gave up on life, didn't you? You gave up on life! And I was like, I, I don't know. It amused me because it. Uh, I, I was really like, say it, say it. You're on the wrong track. You're on the wrong track, man. <laughs> or an officer and gentleman. I got nowhere else to go. <laughs> Which might not be a good sign that the movie is a little bit. Um, it's playing with open cards in terms of what it's doing. But uh, did it ever turn you off or anything that it was uh, on Front Street this this way? Um, not not. Early on, um, um, towards the end, there, there's there's a thing that happens that just makes me go, how how is that even possible? Um, there's there's a there's a death that happens, and there's a police officer involved um, uh, whose name is King Kong, and it made me think, wait a minute, wait a minute, 
King Kong, where have we heard that before? Oh, that's Sam Hoy's character from Aces Go Places. Hmm. Did that have anything to do with anything? <laughs> well, in the naming of this character, but no, um, there, there's a thing that happens, uh, and I'm like, how is this person still employed? I mean, h- how is that even possible? It, it, it does stretch the credibility of, of things in the narrative for me a little bit um, in, in the latter half of... You know, it's, it's that point where Clarence really cranks the narrative so much that that, that is indeed poor logic. We, we fast forward a few years, it seems like, yeah. uh, or at least a year. Uh, but you're right, it seems like some events uh, lead to no consequences for the persons that you'd think would have a tough time after that point. The, early, the, the first half of this, it's it's this family dynamic between the the father, um, played by Hiwa, who's great, um, and, you know, and and this is, I think, one of only two pairings that where we see Yuhua, who was such a sort of powerhouse of the old Shaw generation. Um, he played the Monkey King movies. He's been in, you know, like you said, so many great martial arts roles over the years and here he's um you know being paired with a very you know young newcomer andy lau and they'd only do one other film together i think is the the romance of the three kingdoms movie that andy lau did um in the 2000s um where he plays uh liu bei in a, in a smaller role so it's it's kind of like you know a baton handoff uh, as it were with this film between old and new generations which is is kind of nice but you know, um, you have Paul, Andy Lau's character, and then you have uh, Yim Chawa as as D, who, who is his younger brother. Now, this is a very weird thing, and it took me a while to, I'm, I'm like, all right, wait, what is the family dynamic here? Because the, the husband and wife, uh, the, the parents have separated, the mother's off apparently in Taiwan, and Yu Hua's character has a new girlfriend that he's trying to get the, the boys to, to accept. As you go into this film, you, the the relationship seems very strange between the brothers, okay? Because Andy Lau is, I guess, technically the older brother. I guess they're twins because they're going to the same grade. They're in the same classroom. So that makes them the same age unless Andy failed a year because he's the older brother, right? And D is the younger brother, but they seem to be hinting that they're the same age if they're going to school in the same class together. But maybe I've maybe I've overread that. Maybe there's, you know, there, there's something else there. But anyway, D, his personality is such that he actually acts like the older brother. He's very assertive, very aggressive, making decisions. And Paul, Andy Lau's character, is very kind of very passive, very submissive. In a normal relationship between, you know, brothers, you'd expect the older brother to be the one who's you know, sort of forceful, making decisions, smacking his younger brother around, trying to get him into shape to do things and and pu- or pushing him out to do things, that that kind of thing. So that dynamic was very strange. There's also a point where Hu Hua is like favoring D much more than uh, Andy's character. And I thought there was going to be something there that was was kind of uncovered. And they never again, it's one of these threads that they set up that never really gets ex- expanded on more fully. And it's, it's disappointing because that was a very sort of interesting aspect of the story. So it was, it was a different kind of dynamic than we'd expect to see in films of this nature. It's not credited to uh, persons, this script. It's uh, credited to a uh, short creative group. Uh, <laughs> so, so you'd think that, well, 
too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, you know, film by committee. Yeah. So and and therefore threads are not uh, properly uh, properly developed or or uh, seen through and what have you. Slash. Uh, new makers new performers uh, mostly so it's a little bit uh, rocky in that regard but uh, if anything though i think uh, the, the the first half is the stronger yeah, i think clarence is setting up uh, these contrasts up well and what i mean by that is you you, you think that these are just uh, sort of pranksters and vandals but they are uh, these kids but they are verging on uh, looking like or, or acting like uh, gang members and uh, there are uh, brawls here and Clarence I think wisely favors the fact that uh, these brawls uh, turn bloody there are a little bit of a uh, sense of violent consequences here that is not uh, it's not a good fun to have a Friday or Saturday night brawl with uh, with the gang it uh, can turn a little bit ugly which I think is a, uh, I think is a good thing and um Within uh, that brawl, I'm thinking of there, 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 there's like classic uses usage of smoke, which makes for one of the sort of uh, four or five instances of uh, me spotting that uh, Clarence, the visual thinker, is emerging here. Because if you watch uh, movies like Naked Killer, even The Greatest Lover, Iceman Cometh, there seems to be a little unified uh, theme uh, notion of. Um, Clarence wanting the movies to look elegant and uh, colorful. And sometimes they look very rapid and very frenzied, of course. But uh, I've spotted that in enough movies to note that uh, the visual style is is not solely coming from Clarence's uh, appointed or chosen cinematographer across those films. Like I think he had an eye for uh, that. He wanted to elevate his movies a little bit, uh, to have them look a little bit more... Um, elegant and uh, stylish and there are instances here of uh, him trying out compositions and uh, and uh, choices within the frame including uh, blow, blowing smoke into this uh, nighttime brawl and I, I think it looks uh, fetching to a degree you know even if it's a new director it looks uh, fetching uh, fetching to a degree to have that so that's a little plus point that, that emerges uh, here versus the contrast of uh, the home life, the family life that you've uh, alluded to, that is very uh, plain and very natural. So he isn't uh, on this uh, sort of journey to make everything uh, twist and twirl and be stylish and lights uh, coming out of the windows even when they're just uh, talking to each other in the bedroom, you know, uh, brother to brother or uh, father to sons. So he uh, splits those up, that uh, the Yuhua scenes should be a more... uh, more natural and straight, um, straightforward, and and you're right. He's very good to have here. He's but by this point, uh, he's just this dependable veteran actor, so he could do martial roles and he could do proper normal roles as well. He's in Coolie Killer too. It's not a Shaw Brothers film, but that's uh, another movie around this time that he appeared in and looks great doing so, playing a cop in that one. So uh, I think uh, that's an anchor that the film needed i think to have some Shaw brothers veterans around these uh, these young uh, these young uh, actors here and even though the second half is what it is it's a little bit sloppy a little bit choppy i think andy is pretty well dedicated to this it doesn't feel very awkward to see him deal with uh, 
drama and disappointment and uh, you know he's rejected by the university as the plot said and he doesn't want to join his brother in the shenanigans necessarily there's a very good scene at a disco at a discotheque where he doesn't want to join his friends uh, out on the dance floor which sounds corny why is that a good scene well i quite like the fact that he just they have a booth so he just stays in the booth sinks down and lays down sort of out of sight at that point he doesn't want to you know he's losing hope but he doesn't want to be destructive he just wants to be out of sight and those are good little good little moments i think that uh, clarence finds for the young actor they're not pushing excessive melodrama on him or anything like that the movie certainly is that, but it doesn't seem like uh, they, they're cranking it to 11 just for us to feel something or anything. In all honesty, I think uh, this is uh, a little bit of an essential viewing to see that there is dramatic promise here in um, in the young actor that is going to hone his skills and shape his skills, whether action-oriented, comedy-oriented or drama-oriented across... Uh, well, he still is, you know, <laughs> he's, still, he's still out there. So, so I think Andy shows, uh, you know, he's in uh, he's in the form here, and he's uh, he seems to care for film acting, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think there's a there's a definite uh, a shift in his. You, you you can see it's it's a very physical change that happens too, in the sort of the way he dresses and some of the way he emotes in the sort of second half or the. the you know, I should state all of that I just said really doesn't apply to the second half. I think that's where his performance kind of falls apart as well. But it's not really all on him. It's uh, it's a complete effort in terms of uh, uh, the nose dive that happens. But I do think in in the second half, we, you start to see glimpses of sort of the Wadi character that he gets known for um, to come later. <clears throat> this, 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 this sort of uh, the, 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 the young punk with a heart of gold. <clears throat> who doesn't really want to be in the situation that he's in. Yeah, there, there are echoes uh, definitely of um, of uh, that, even echoes of God of Gamblers, actually. That's <laughs> a yeah. scene where he chews out a woman that is uh, mistreating her child on a bus in this film. That also happens in God, of, in God of Gamblers. I'm not saying Wong Jing was like, on the wrong track, was this meaningful film <laughs> to me, man? So we're going to reference it in this uh, silly comedy of ours. No, but, but it, uh, it was oddly... Um, Oddly familiar, but the context in God of Gamblers is that he's he's abandoned uh, Dosan, God of Gamblers, and uh, he feels bad having abandoned his child in that. And on that same note of sort of social commentary, um, we do have to mention here, um, this is the debut film of Prudence Liu, yeah, Liu Meikuan, as, as a young sort of uh, Vietnamese refugee who's in a refugee camp who Andy's character ends up meeting. Uh, for those of you not familiar with her, she is, um, you know, she had a short career acting. She's, I, I think she had quite a prominent career as a singer and then went away for a while um, to focus on family and kids and then came back. And um, her comeback film was Herman Yao's uh, True Woman for Sale, which oh, she I've won. Oh, I've seen a, that. Yeah. I she know won that an award now. for. Yep. Yep. That's her. And so, you know, it's a pretty interesting story, you know, that she kind of, you know, started out here early on with Andy Lau and then um, kind of went, did her own thing, but not so focused on cinema and then went away and then came back. So I can swear she won an award for True Woman, True Women for Sale. Yep, she did. Wow. She did. And it was very good in it. It was that sort of two, um, two punch. Uh, it was part of that sort of two movie punch about uh, hostesses and prostitutes that yep. Herman made. 
I didn't like the first one I saw, which I forgot the name of, but I did like True Women for Sale. Uh, he had a, uh, there was another movie with Afina Chu that he made that I didn't, um, uh, and or maybe that was it. But I remember not liking one of them that was uh, dealing with uh, the same topics. But uh, she was, uh, yeah, she was very good uh, here, and, uh, and and certainly, you know, Anne Hoy had. Uh, made uh, both people and story of yet and dealt with these uh, subjects and i guess here in 1983 it wouldn't be out of uh, it wouldn't date the film because i'm sure the issue of uh, vietnamese immigrants was still a social issue but here they add the fact that uh, she's uh, she's a young mother i'm not uh, I'm, I'm not sure they even uh, suggest that she's uh, she, she certainly looks young like she's uh, she's under 18 and she's uh, she's a parent so is that um, tough notion, demanding notion on someone young and uh, who looks like she's uh, she has little to no support out there or little to no uh, hope of uh, of gaining ground there in Hong Kong? Yeah, so uh, it, it certainly felt and uh, they're, they're they're quite good together. They, uh, they they make for this uh, nice young pair that are romantically paired up. Uh, but but by the time we reach the the, the second half, there there have been these little embers added to the fire of Andy Laos where you sort of know that not everything or anything is going to go right for these uh, characters including her that she might be uh, uh, be forced to leave Hong Kong at some point and uh, what does that leave him does he leave with her or what does he do and as engaging as that is the problem is uh, we're not going to spoil the catalyst event that happens but at one point Andy Lau goes to a correctional facility goes to juvie I guess for at least a year and I was quite surprised that Clarence is fast tracking this as much as he does the movie hadn't had not been had not been giving us uh, any indication that it's uh, going to be that fast in uh, in development and I don't think it did the movie any favors to fast track his time behind bars if you will and the further disassociation he has with his father because of it and all the resentment and anger and frustration I, I was in two minds when it happened but i was definitely decided upon where i stood after andy comes out and he's all 1000 percent ragey and fighty and punchy to the point where i thought it was a bit it made me laugh to be honest that he comes out as this Hot ass kid who doesn't care anymore. No future. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it it felt a little clunky, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, there there's definitely a shift there, and I think also in terms of the storytelling, uh, some of the narratives tend to jump around quite a bit. You know, again, there are things that are going on that never really get fully resolved, like. Uh, the relationship with the stepmom is kind of presented, but it's very weird. And then um, his relationship with his dad, he wants to go and, and get his dad's blessing to to get married. And he's like, no, no, you, you know, you can't do this. And then uh, again, he's trying to do the right thing. And, and she has no rights as a as a refugee. And, you know, she's getting ready to get shipped off to Papua New Guinea. And, and again, these are themes that are very prevalent in films of the time right we've talked about this and before in like you know chow yun fat films and uh, his early films and uh, people are more probably more familiar with the themes and something like boat people so these were 
you know, social issues very dominant of the time. With her story, there's allusions to, you know, that, you know, she does have this child. She's very young. Likely the child is a product of rape, not any relationship that, that she has had with anyone. They're portraying Andy as this character who's like there and, and willing and trying to do the right thing. And then just no nobody in, and the system is not going to allow him to do that. So he has to rage against the machine. The lead up to that is good before he rages because he... he the naive aspect of him says that I, I can work I can I can do construction I can do this I can be a policeman I'll, I'll do anything like I I bought that but when he is when he's the cock of the walk uh, there in the disco and is uh, you know so pasted on uh, in a way where it didn't fit with the drama that the character had changed that much into the I don't care no future guy and I'm gonna drive in the destruction derby now they missed um, achieving a, a good balance there, I thought. And just just a, a, a brief side note to touch back. Um, the Herman Yao film, um, first film was Whispers and Moans uh, from 2007. It's based on a very popular uh, book, of, you know, sort of an investigative book uh, that was written. There's actually an English translation if you're interested to read it. And I believe that even though it's a, it's a better film and the, the film that uh, Prudence you know, was recognized for the second film, True Women for Sale, I think it's 2008, a year later, is more stories from the Whispers and Moans book. I think it's, a, you know, it's it's more entertaining um, overall as a piece of cinema. I wanted to mention, by the way, I mentioned about the Destruction Derby. Technically, they, they do some cool stuff here with uh, the, uh, the, you know, the way it's set up, it seems like they're, they're, driving around in a circle and uh, the the circle is uh, is populated with these uh, lit barrels yeah, but i don't know if the game includes like you have to get as close to the burning barrels as possible or get close to the burning cars as possible and set that on fire but it certainly happens and it looks quite good technically the way these uh, cars drive past uh, other objects, whether cars or barrels, and they are set uh, set on fire. Like they, uh, it certainly looks a bit uh, risky as well to do for stunt persons. Uh, there's a couple of shots where Andy Lau is in the car that's uh, he's in the driver's seat, and obviously the car is uh, uh, set on fire. Uh, the the back of the car is set on fire, so it's not terribly dangerous. But uh, these are uh, cool sequences, technically not terribly impactful dramatically but uh, i thought uh, the the action crew from uh, shaw brothers and they, 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 there wasn't even a specific person here either they they credit the action to hong kong action stunt so it's like a group of uh, persons whether they all came from shaw brothers or not because vehicular vehicular stunts sometimes require specialized uh, talent you know whether bruce law or someone like black co all that looked uh, Look good, but uh, uh, I suppose the end of my notes is that that specific conflict with uh, with the King Kong cop was not only spotty, but the vehicular stunt finale that <laughs> seems to take place in a mall. I thought was absolutely ludicrous. It's it, it is <laughs> the, the the concept is not particularly great. The limitations really sync the, the sequence uh, the, the sequence we've already seen undercranked vehicular action even in the destruction derby scenes where they go fast 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 round 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 here the undercranking really kills off any dramatic momentum and i thought this was uh, i wouldn't say terrible but it it i felt it was a, a bit uh, 
a bit of an overreach, I suppose. And uh, why do they need to drive around indoors to have this conflict resolved that's, that's been bathed in blood throughout the movie? And they drive around inside with a car, ch- chasing another character. <laughs> I thought it was pretty dumb, to be honest. I have I have the same note in here that, you know, it's basically undercranked to death. <laughs> Especially if you ever get a chance to, you know, for listeners out there, because I know you're never going to go. But if you ever get a chance to go to Hong Kong and you go to some place like that's still very active, like the Golden Computer Arcade Center in Sham Choi Po. It's a very famous, uh, you know, multi-tier mall where they go and, they, you know, they sell computer parts and games and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, again, this is decades before. So I'm guessing there was a bit more space. But these malls are very short and narrow um the the aisleways the so they're 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 already kind of stretching it but they they've got him in a mini cooper kind of little car and for this i don't know where he got it from i guess he stole it i don't know how he got it in there because it's you know <laughs> i guess they have a, a bay or some a bay entrance or something but you're not getting it in through the front door for sure and and by the way to state this I didn't know specifically, but your it sounds to me like your interpretation is that this is not on stage. This is on location. No, that that looked very much like a, you know, a, just an empty mall space. Um, very sort of typical, you know, mall space. If you've seen uh, Biozombie, right? Uh, very similar kind of mall space they used for sh- shooting that. It's It's something that, you know, it's very cheap and easy to shoot at because you do it, you know, like, you know, you... you Obviously, you have to rent the space from the landlord or something or, or call in a favor from a friend. But you do it once the place is closed down, like at 1 a.m. or something. So, yeah, it's it's very feasible. That, and, and it's just, you know, the two of them, basically. It, look, it looks so bare as well. like uh, they, Very bare. Yeah. Not a lot of signage. If you, if you went into one of these places today, even though all the stuff would kind of be pulled into the bays, there'd still be a lot of signage and, and posters and stuff up. I mean, Shaw Brothers, uh, as as big of a land as they had, and they could build stuff. They 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 did go out on location even for um, interiors. Uh, the, the movie Hong Kong Godfather. I didn't know at the time, but I think uh, someone confirmed that that takes place. Uh, the finale of that, that mightily brutal and bloody finale, takes place in the is it Wing On or is, or is it Wing O Mall? I was confused that from Police Story, but but it's apparently the same mall space as Police Story, where they just went to town. Uh, I think mixing some interiors at Shaw Brothers, but also being there in the mall and just painting the walls red and then having to clean that up, obviously. But here, it's not the same feeling at all. It's not the same immersive feeling at all. But it's also conceptually just so it it, it isn't a crescendo to to this uh, finale. It doesn't need to be that high concept, a man on man, so to say, confrontation could have worked so much better. I don't think I would have been terribly affected. But it didn't need to be high concept. It really didn't. Yeah, I, th- I think they were trying to push the the wow factor, even though we don't we look at it now and we go, don't really go wow. We go, huh? <laughs> but, I, I, you know, in this kind of a space for that era, just the idea of him getting a car in there and having the car turn corners, even though it's a Mini Cooper and stuff <laughs> and and be threatening, you know, I guess it's kind of like surprising, you know, in in a sort of like pre uh you know police story kind of thing but to to look at it in hindsight it 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 doesn't have it i mean it would make a lot more sense if he had just gotten like a motorcycle yes and was zipping through the halls and 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 trying to run the the police officer down 
Um, so as it is, it it doesn't hold up well. I, mean, I think it was probably a concept that they they had, and um, unfortunately, the execution doesn't pay yeah, off. Yeah, we're stuck with this now. We didn't speak of it, but uh, obviously, there, there there might be an argument here for uh, that the, the 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 creative group and uh, Clarence Ford looking at past movies. Uh, such as Rebel Without a Course, you mentioned or showed me that uh, they therefore were thinking of uh, James Dean, at least in the interior decoration. So do, 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 do you think that's a connection or it's it's so minor? I mean, I yeah, I, I think it's definitely an influence. And especially when Andy comes out later and he's got a very clear change in sort of wardrobe and hairstyle. It's an aesthetic they were trying to aim for. I mean, it's a different kind of character and different kind of story. Um, there's there's a scene right before the finale where uh, he's carrying a box and he goes to a phone booth and he dumps a bunch of stuff on the ground and he's got some lighter fluid or something and he and he sets it on fire. I thought he was setting the phone booth on fire or I thought he was gonna like do something to the cop and I'm like, what is he doing? And I had to go back and rewatch the scene a couple times and it wasn't really obvious. Um, because of the the resolution and and the angle of the shot and everything, and it's at night. But he I, he's setting his school books on fire. All right, yeah, yeah, I didn't get that either, to be honest. So it, it I, I'm guessing that's a sequence where it's like he's saying, okay, you know, because the, the big thread was he wanted to go to school in America. That was his goal. Um, he wanted to sort of go off and, and make it on his own, even though he wasn't the best of students. That was what he was pushing for. And and that was kind of the impetus for him, like the scene you said where he was like lying down, you know, trying to avoid being pushed into things by his younger brother. And at this point, I guess he's saying, well, you know what? Just forget about it. And I'm just going to go and, and, and be the bad boy now. So I, I do think that there was, you know, definitely that sense that they were trying to get that sort of James Dean angle, you know, what do you got kind of kind of thing going. It just with so many of the other threads and, and especially, I mean, this is a very Shaw ending, very Shaw. I mean, the, the, much of this film may not resonate Shaw Brothers, but it's I almost wanted an animal house thing with some some still frames saying, oh, and by the way, this character had this happen. And by the way, this character, because so much that gets built up and and we get almost zero res- resolution for any of these threads. Yeah, so uh, it peters out, that's for sure. Um, so I really don't have any other notes. Uh, I, I wrote a little amusing note. It really doesn't matter uh, technically, but uh, there's a little uh, lighting uh, lighting goof uh, in one scene where Andy Lau's character brings his brother home after he's been uh, quite uh, quite injured after the uh, destruction derby. Uh, Andy Lau's character lights the table lamp in their room. And the entire room illuminates. <laughs> so someone obviously cranked the uh, turn on the twelve k, twelve k. Or but 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 it looks like obviously the entire room, including the like on the ceiling, is illuminating the room. But and is merely pushing the uh, the table lamp, the little table lamp, the little study lamp. So I thought, like, come on. I mean, even I mean, there, there, there is a shot that's out of focus, and that happens in these films because they didn't have video playback and they were reliant on the cinematographer and the focus puller. So that that happens, and it happens in this film. And he leans into the foreground and he goes out of focus, and then he leans back a little bit. Uh, so he, he gets into focus. But that lighting goof was a genuine goof that they they really should have spotted that uh, it's not uh, that strong that little study lamp. But hey. 
I guess that happens when you're not that engaged in the film. You you find goofs easier. But hey. So was this a first watch for you? Yes, it was. I never bought the uh, IVL DVD back in the day. I, I, I bought a fair few, but I, I missed out on this one. Um, and uh, it's out of print now, but um, it's very easy to watch the film, as we'll talk of um, in a little bit. All right. So my question is this. There's a thing that happens in the second act, and, and it's really when the film kind of shifts gears. And, you know, part of me wonders, uh, was that done for shock value? And was that something I mean, was that something you were expecting? Because I was I was not expecting that. So part of me wonders if they were trying to be a little bit edgy, a little bit progressive. But at the same time, I mean, it's in a different genre. It is something that you would you would expect to happen. They, they, they wanted a catalyst for uh, for the story. And I think I, there was a telltale sort of sign that uh, not everyone's going to make it. Let's just say that there, there's going to be some uh, violence. But I, I think I subconsciously, definitely then consciously after a while, bumped on the fact that now the movie is moving way too quick and it's not dealing with uh, the shock value in a somewhat logical movie way anyway by having uh, consequences for for these actions uh, for all the characters involved. And uh, then your shock value, because it's, it's not a bad um, surprise, actually. But then the shock value kind of gets diminished when you're not dealing with it uh, properly. But, but knowing these kind of movies, I, I was expecting some, some bloodshed by the end, some prison sentence by the end at the very least. The opening shot seems to indicate that that is from a prison cell, whether, whether it, is, it is or not. Uh, of uh, Andy Lau staring, uh, staring at us. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say if that is a prison, uh, like from the end of the movie or not. Uh, I didn't feel shocked necessarily, but uh, maybe a bit disappointed that they didn't deal dramatically with uh, things uh, as well as they should have. So I I'm, don't have anything else to say. It's, uh, if you're interested in Andy Lau's uh, early, early movies, this is, isn't the best, but uh, hey, give it a watch. It's very easy. To, to watch it as a matter of fact and hey go watch your boat people as well like uh, we, we we joke sometimes on these on these shows that george lamb is in the criterion collection well guess what motherfucker andy low is in the criterion collection and that matters and it looks like um, he's gonna be in it um, threefold if that that's the same because uh, it seems like infernal affairs the trilogy is going into the criterion collection as well so it's happening, Paul. It's happening. In the pantheon of Andy Lau, the, the Andy Lau filmography, if this is not one you've seen and you're a big Andy Lau fan, uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, worth it to track it down, especially, I think, for the first half, which is really good, um, and just kind of deal with the, the, the second half and try and understand where they were trying to go and, and maybe some of the issues they ran into. But by the same token, it's, you know, it's not going to be up there with uh, stuff he's much more renowned for. So good for completionists. But if you're still new to sort of the Andy Lau cinematic journey, there's probably other stuff you want to check out first. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, so it's easy to watch it. As I said, it was remastered for uh, DVD and released in Hong Kong by IVL. That is out of print right now. Uh, but uh, there is a digital HD version available for rent or buy across Amazon Prime US and several iTunes regions, including my local region. So if you're in the UK, I can almost guarantee that On The Wrong Track is available for a cheap price. These um, movie-only digital editions uh, are not terribly expensive. You know, it's not a... 
if we go by the US site, it's not a $14.99 venture. They usually sell these for like $6.99 or $7.99. So uh, it's uh, it should be available to you. Amazon Prime used to stream a lot of these for free. But I don't think they do that anymore. But uh, you can certainly buy it uh, across uh, digital uh, platforms and rent, of course. So... Uh, so give it a whirl, and uh, if you're interested, and uh, we did, did, this was an episode that was uh, based on that um, current sort of a trek that we're uh, having across several makers and actors uh, watching and um, experiencing their uh, uh, early days of uh, making and appearing, and uh, this was certainly one such uh, one such case, both for Clarence Ford and uh, and uh, Angela. So. It, uh, it definitely uh, matters even if you never return to it. Uh, okay, okay. So uh, let's uh, finish this one off. Thank you, Paul. And uh, this uh, meaty discussion for an early and the film. Very much enjoyed it. So uh, we are going to sign off for all your Podcast on Fire network needs. Go to podcastonfire.com. Social media links, relevant links for the episode available over there. Excuse me again if the website is looking a little bit wonky. We're working on it, but obviously all the podcast feeds and such are working after the website uh, uh, stopped uh, working for a little bit, so uh, bear with us. But uh, uh, anything else you want to say? I know you said uh, you, you had your uh, your shelled episode, but um, anything else you want to plug despite? Uh, no, we still have an archive over at uh, Comcast.com, uh, and you can uh, check out our stuff, East Screen, West Screen. And uh, I don't know if we've got future episodes in the pipe or not. Uh, it's going to depend on schedules and what we see, but uh, always happy to be able to come on here and talk Hong Kong cinema with you, sir. Well, we're uh, I am, and uh, we're all thankful for you, Paul, and the perspective you bring. So, uh, and uh, you're not you you're probably going to say now I'm just a guy who watches movies and talk crap, <laughs> but you're not. You watch movies, but there's certainly no crap coming from you. So. Substance, substance, damn it, and allow substance. It's needed. We uh, we are done for this episode. So uh, thank you, Paul, and uh, I've been Kenny, and uh, with me was uh, Paul Fox. So uh, take us out, buddy. Sing your best and allow song now. No, 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 no. I'll <laughs> just say bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs>